0: Welcome to How to Build a Village. I am so excited to welcome Sarah Hamill, an award-winning journalist and mystery author who has come out with a new book called The Strong Ones, How a Band of Civilian Women Made Their Mark on the Army.
1: It's launch day for The Strong Ones, and I thought I'd introduce you to some of the women in the book, some of the actual strong ones. Enjoy. I grew up hearing, girls can't do this. So I volunteered to prove we could.
0: Of all the studies I've done for the military, this one was truly the most memorable and rewarding.
1: To be part of something that was bigger than me, potentially make change for women in the military. We formed a sisterhood that
0: was more powerful and positive than we ever imagined. I've known Sarah for a long time, and the privilege of working with her at People Magazine, one of the many publications she has written and reported for. So welcome, Sarah.
1: Thank you, Jill. So nice to be here.
0: Now, could you please explain your participation in the study that formed the inspiration of The Strong Ones, which is a wonderful book.
1: Sure. What ended up happening was that uh, in 1995, when I was about four years old. No, I wasn't. (laughs) Um, The army was looking to run a study of women's strength and they wanted to find out what it would take and how strong women could get with a specific training regimen. And at the time they had a lot of, of the female soldiers were very busy doing the work of defending our country. We were in the United States at the time. Mm -hmm. So they needed civilians and they put out a press release and looked for civilians to join this study uh, that would go on for about six to seven months. And an editor of mine brought me the story and showed it to me and she said, why don't you do this? And I said, what are you talking about? But I did, I ended up signing on for it. And that's pretty much, that was 1995. So women were still banned from most combat roles in the United States in the military. Uh, so there was a lot of interest in that in that topic of women in the military at the time.
0: Well, One of the things I loved about this book is that the camaraderie you guys shared, and I love that that was something that the people came up with the study were surprised by, weren't they? It wasn't what they set out to prove, that these women who were put through these really demanding workouts, people who weren't used to that type of pressure and that, you know, that, that type but th- these military exercises that instead of being super competitive and turning on each other, they became great friends and were rooting each other on. But wh- why do you think that was and how did that camaraderie develop?
1: Um, yeah, that was um, huge. And the scientists, you know, they're they're used to their scientists. They run studies. They're used to their lab rats showing up, doing the job and leaving or, or doing whatever Um they're supposed to do. But I think for us, because we were all in this together and we were all sort of to use a cliche, fish out of water. Um, we came onto that army base and we were asked to do such rigorous things as, you know, run, if we could run, uh, two miles through the woods carrying 75 pound backpacks. And if you're a woman who weighs maybe 120 pounds, that's a big that's a big load for you. Mm-hmm. Um and I think to get through that, we just realized we needed to cheer each other on and we needed to be there for each other, or we may, we just might collapse, you know, so that, um, we just did these difficult things together from day one and we started cheering each other on. And that was that. So we, we sort of bonded through, I think shared pain and shared and a shared goal and a shared mission as well, because whatever your political beliefs were at the time, I think we were all about fairness and it just didn't feel fair to us that women were, banned from certain jobs simply because of their gender. So we wanted, we we felt like we had a lot to prove.
0: And what role did the study study play in the military afterward? Did it it achieve what what it was intended to achieve?
1: Um, Yeah, it did. And um, it, it it was designed to determine if women could get strong enough to do what they call the military's toughest MOSs, which is a military occupational specialty which we would just call a job. Um, And it proved that 78% of us uh, by the end of the study compared to 24% at the beginning were able to then qualify if we were given a chance to qualify for the army's toughest jobs. Um, And I set out in writing the book to answer the question that that you had asked, which is, did did all that work do anything for future military women? And I I don't wanna give any spoilers, but I think, you know, the short answer is yes. I found that we we sort of worked our way into the DNA of the Army and its research bank. And they did end up using our results in future, really, really important future combat readiness, physical fitness tests and, and tests that they wanted to be gender neutral so that it was fair to everybody. And so that this country's defenses were as strong as they needed to be. So no one was given any special treatment. And from all that work they did and we did in 95, that actually translated to, to 2013 and 2016 when women were finally allowed to integrate into all areas of the military.
0: And so how did it feel writing this? Because of course you've written other books, The Underdogs and Famous Last Words. How did it feel writing this book compared to the other two?
1: I felt as if I was kind of coming back to my journalism roots i've been on a sort of journalism break for a couple of years and it just felt very natural it just felt like being a journalist again and it felt awesome it was just really it was different um telling the story and trying to you had definitely less literary license <laughs> than you do in fiction but it just felt it really felt great and it was just like again using my journalism roots again so i feel comfortable in both genres really
0: because obviously some years had passed between the study and the writing of the book what made you decide to write it now?
1: Well, I had kept an eye over the years on the military and what was happening with women in the military, just a casual eye. Uh, Nothing seemed to to be changing, really. And then in 2016, I was doing a book signing for the underdogs at a bookstore. And out of nowhere, Everett Harmon, the the principal scientist on our study, surprised me and showed up. And it was just this reunion. I, I couldn't believe it. So what happened was I said to him, Just that year, I said, suddenly, because of under the Obama administration, women would be allowed to have a chance at all military jobs they could qualify for. And I said to Everett, did did we affect anything? Did we change anything? Did our study, did your study do anything? And he said, I've heard some good things. I've heard it might have, but he'd been out of the military for a little while. So he didn't know exactly. So I just said, that's it. This This is my next project. So... I started poking around, it really didn't get going till 2018 um, after my next book, but that was the catalyst thinking, okay, this has finally changed, what, let's go and track, you know, trace it.
0: I love that you were able to connect with these people and that everett who just played such an amazing role in the book that that he came to your book signing I got tears in my eyes when I read that this kind of going back to the past going back you have know, quite a quite a few years and the yeah. fact that he came the fact he kept tabs on you and knew that you were you were that Sarah Hamill you know and and, and um, track you down at that book signing and you guys hugged back when you were allowed to do that That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> In a different era. You know, I mean, even, even a book signing sounds like such a, such a novelty now. It's, I mean, it was just such a great scene. I mean, this podcast is about moving and traveling and you, know, you, you've lived different places. I mean, how, how has it felt being back physically? And I like that you talked about this in the book that you lived other places and you were eager to get out of new England at the time. And now you, you have know, kind of come full circle. How does it feel to reflect on those early new England days being, being where you are?
1: Yeah, there was definitely a sense of coming home that I didn't feel so much before that because it just made me realize I have so many roots here. And As exciting it is, and and you know this better than anyone, um, as exciting as it is to set up a new life somewhere else and to try to set up a new life and to make friends in all different places, it's kind of like you forget that coming home, you're like, oh, these people do know me, you know? And I, I am back in contact with people who knew me in Massachusetts where I spent most of my childhood, um, and they knew me back then. And it was just, it, it's a whole different feeling. So that was really a positive thing to to go through that. And it did, did make me feel like I'm coming home. I'm like, just cause I haven't spoken to you in 25 years or longer, we're still friends and you still know me and I still know you. And that was a really kind of amazing experience.
0: Where else have you lived?
1: I was thinking about this actually this morning. <laughs> I left the paper, the Middlesex News, where I was covering the study in Massachusetts. My next job was in Washington, D.C. for U.S. News and World Report, who then moved me to New York, where I lived for about four or five years. Went to New York, to London for another five or six years, uh, and then Switzerland for another two, and then L.A. for another two, and then um, back to, to Connecticut and New Haven and then West Hartford area. So yeah, it's been quite a circle, and there's every chance we're moving again in the fall to another major U.S. city. <laughs> so,
0: any would, big reveal or, share, or are you gonna or are you gonna keep us posted? Okay, well, yeah, I'll
1: definitely keep you posted. There's jobs um, in the offing, possibly, and whatever happens, there's a, there's a definitely a good chance we'll be probably leaving Connecticut. So that's another I can, I can use my uh, my chops getting back into making friends again in a new place and building community again in a new, in a new place.
0: <laughs> it keeps you on your toes doesn't it um yeah. particularly uh, in the covid era i feel like i've gotten out of out of practice with it all yeah so you've talked about the the impact the study has had on the military but what what would you say what impact has do you think it's had on you i mean how did it change the course of your life or your career or did it
1: yeah, I mean, I think it did. I mean, I was young enough and in, in just starting in my career that I was able to, lucky enough to be able to write about something so, that I thought was so amazing. I thought it was amazing. I still do. Um, and I was really lucky to be able to do that. And then I won some journalism awards for that, again, fairly young. So I just, that gave me a confidence to really set out and see what I could do next. Um, and the lessons you learn, I mean, not to I don't want to sound you know, trite or cliche, but really the lessons you learn, things like never give up. I mean, if you really, is that indoctrinated in you for those seven months? You really do understand the meaning of never giving up and how important it is not to. And things like what you do is important. You know, that was an important study. And I, it was important to me to show up for military women. And there were days when I felt I was doing so badly on the test. I thought, why can't I go faster? Like, why am I so bad at this? And sometimes I wasn't great. Sometimes I was better than I thought but it all mattered and it was all important. So it kind of just, you know, I think it's something i said in a talk that I was giving uh, last week, which has just come to me. It's when I left the study, it wasn't that I was a strong, perfect, amazing person by any means. It was just that I realized that if I did fall or if I did fail, that I'd be okay. And then I could get back up again. And that's okay. And to me, that was a big lesson because I I definitely wasn't the top performer in the study. Not that it mattered who was a top performer in the study, but we all kind of knew like what we were good at and what we weren't. And once I had to come to terms with that, (laughs) that was helpful too.
0: (laughs) It was, I love that you injected your personal journey to the book and what you... Hope to get out of it and your strength and the goals of the, of the project, you know, that it wasn't necessarily that you weren't competing against each other. It was really competing against your, against yourselves. And then that you ended up with all these journalism awards that seemed to launch your career after that. It seemed like a bonus, but wasn't necessarily something you thought you were going to get when you went into it.
1: Yeah, I hoped, I knew it was a special thing Um, when you're a young reporter starting out at a small, well, medium-sized newspaper, especially back in the nineties when there were more newspapers and that, that was where you really got your news. That was, I knew at the time that it was a very unique opportunity. I, the editor who let me do it was the newspaper's first ever female executive editor. So I think that was a factor that she took that leap. So I knew that it was something special. I just, like you said, I i didn't count on it and it wasn't my number one reason for doing it. Have the other
0: participants in the study who interviewed for the book, have they been receptive to talking about it? Have they remembered it and been happy to talk about it with you when you approach them after all these years?
1: Yeah, they, they were so happy. I was nervous because I didn't be like, I haven't talked to you in 25 years, but do you want to be in my book? Um, <laughs> but that's not how I approached it. I approached it like, do you want to like have a reunion? <laughs> and then by the way, I have a book. But they were thrilled. I mean, every single one I reached was so happy to be able to go back to that time because there's not a lot of people you can talk about it with who really get what it was, you know, it's like, so they were thrilled to, to go through it. They, they, especially a lot of them, when I kept in conversation with them throughout the pandemic, especially early on, it really was, gave us all just something to cling to. It was It was just sort of a revived sense of pride, I think that we all felt and just like, no matter what you're doing now, you can look back and say, what an amazing thing I got to do and what a great thing I did do. So they've been incredibly receptive. They're all excited about the book. They all trusted me with their stories. So that just made this whole study, it brought a positive experience into the present day as an extremely positive experience. And that said, uh, there are some test subjects I haven't found, some who haven't gotten back to me. And so, you know, as I say in the book, it this really was my perspective. You know, every woman, goes through something very different. We all experienced our own thing during that time. So I'm not sure, you know, some of the ones I didn't reach, I can't speak to, and I hope they're all okay. And I hope I find them at some point, but everyone I did reach was, was really happy.
0: I love, uh, particularly I find that during the pandemic, doing a lot of sort of looking back and soul searching. And so it's so nice that you can look back and experience like that and, and realize that it's brought you things in the, in the coming years, you know, that you're even now deriving things from it did how, what was your timeline for you said you started it around 2018
1: yeah I started thinking about it in 2016 and really started poking, trying to form it in my head in 2018 and I actually sketched it out as fiction at first because my memory was not as I wanted it to be and I still wasn't sure about approaching everyone I was like oh I, can't, I don't know so that was really so from really 2018 to 2019 the bulk well Yeah, around 2018, 2019 was the bulk of the reporting, I would say, 2019, and the bulk of the writing, uh, 2019 and and 2020.
0: It also underlined to me the importance of journaling, the fact that you were able to refer to journals you kept at the time, because I mean, I think it's I mean, I find it hard, particularly in pandemic times, to remember like what I did yesterday, you know, (laughs) So to remember anything and then, you know, to keep remember your perspective on things and to to be able to quote from your journals. Do you keep journals all the time? Or was it just during that period?
1: Up until about, I would say I was probably about a year after that is when they stopped. So probably from the age of like 10 to 20. 27 maybe. I was I would mark things down and after that I just I didn't. But I I'm sort of annoyed at my like 24 year old self because I was like why didn't you write more? Like why did you have a gap that month? Like do you know, do you not know that I needed to you to tell me things? But yeah, it was a trip reading some of the things I completely forgot. Like some guy I had a crush on, I don't remember him at all, but apparently I, I he said hi to me and I tripped over a garbage can and like ran away <laughs> and I wrote that and I'm like, dear diary, you know, I was like, oh gosh. Um, so yeah, no, I stopped that, you know, probably in my late twenties, but
0: um, yeah,
1: I found it very useful as a younger person.
0: Another thing I liked is it, it brought me back to that to that time period, you know, of, you know, 20 odd years away in part because the the chapter titles referenced 90s songs. Didn't say you. Know,
1: <laughs> I thought that was great.
0: Um, the music of that era. I mean, how how did you come up with that idea?
1: Um, well, music is so important to me. Everything I do, like every time I go for long walks in the pandemic, and every time I work out, and if we're at a party, you know, when we could go to parties, <laughs> uh, music was so, has been so important my whole life. And to me, I just my memories and my sensor, my any sensory feelings that I have, and, and smells, and all of that. Seasons, I connect to music. So I actually have, and I want to do actually a playlist of study songs. But I remember the songs that were out like each month that we were doing the study and just things that were important to me. And then some of the lines and song titles and album titles from that time just to me resonated with some of the things that were going on, you know, during the study that I was writing about. So something was a great song that I loved was out in the fall and it matched a, a chapter that I was writing. I thought this is good, good chapter headings.
0: Which one in particular is the one that stands out?
1: Well, yeah, you would have seen from the book that I do talk about Jagged Little Pill. Yes. Um, her 25th anniversary, Alanis' Jagged Little Pill 25th anniversary, was the same year as our study, 25th anniversary, mm. it came out that summer. Oh, yeah. So You Learn, I believe, is a chapter heading, which is one of my favorite songs. A Jagged Little Pill is a title of one of the sections because that was denoting a, a difficult time during the study for us when we were really, really working really hard and... um we had some challenges, so yeah, that's one of them. Jagged little pill.
0: Uh nice. And do what? What book will you be working on next? Do you have uh, another one in the works? Promoting
1: this one is taking pretty much everything out of me <laughs> that I have, but I cannot stop thinking about mysteries. I want to write a Gone Girl meets like a Ruth Ware girl in Cabin Ten. Like I love those kinds of books, so that's my my dream is to is to write one of those next and see if I can get that
0: out into the world so I feel like that's one of your signatures because of course um the underdogs and I don't want to spoil anything but also in the strong ones there's a surprise at the end um that keeps you keeps you on your toes so oh that'd be great now are there what what books do you like to read
1: mysteries I love mysteries I read um like I said I love Ruth Ware I like Gillian Flynn I like oh like growing up I read every Nancy Drew, every Trixie Belden. So I just love mysteries. So that's what I read. And that's what I, I do like nonfiction as well. And I do read some literary fiction sometimes. Um, i trying to read the Alice Network now. Um, I don't know if you've read that.
0: It's on my Kindle. Yeah,
1: it's on people's Yeah, so I'm liking that. So yeah, I really I do. I like twist endings. I like writing them and reading them.
0: And do you have any advice for someone who wants to get the inspiration to write a book like this, like an empowering inspiring book get the idea for it write it and publish it what what would your tips be for someone in that position
1: well I think you do have to have an idea that you love because you have to be able to live with this idea and the people in it for a very long time so whatever your idea is that you come up with be sure that you're you're ready to live with it and then just go for it and 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 try to set aside time. If you have a very, very busy life, try to set aside time that you will write. And and if you can't write, don't beat yourself up because it'll just make you stressed out and not be able to write the next day. I would say do it, you know, they do say, what's the saying, Jill, you probably know better than I do, but I think it's something like 99% of success in life is showing up. Mm -hmm. I find that people, a lot of people talk about books, not as many write the books. So if you, if you can start working on the book and get it finished, that's a that's a big part of it. So just doing it is is a good start.
0: Well, I'm so impressed that you've done that three times now. So
1: congratulations.
0: Oh, okay, well, thanks so much for for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I love your podcast. You have so many awesome friends if I might <laughs> if I may say so.
0: <laughs> oh, well, I'm proud to have you as one of them.
1: Oh, same here.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of How to Build a Village. To find out more about Sarah Hamill and her books, including The Strong Ones, How a Band of Civilian Women Made Their Mark on the Army, head over to SarahHamillBooks.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-A-M-M-E-L-B-O-O-K-S.com.